Every business needs a partner they can trust. So go with Whitney Bank, voted 2017's best New Orleans area bank by City Business. See how they can help take your business to the next level at HancockWhitney.com, member FDIC. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp by Short & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. From the beginning of recorded history, we've had a fascination with the blurred lines between the real world and the supernatural world. Greek gods and Hindu gods were described as humans with superpowers who lived on other dimensions and interacted with people on Earth. In biblical times, an all-powerful but invisible God granted some human superpowers like parting the seas and feeding the multitudes. In our own times, we've continued to blur the lines between the real and non-real worlds. We've created a non-real online world where a regular person can have a whole different persona on places like Facebook and we can strap on goggles and walk, swim, and even fly in what we call virtual reality. And when it comes to business, we're coming to accept the blurred line between transactions that happen in the online world and the real world as perfectly normal. My guests on Out to Lunch today are both on the cutting edge of this blurred line. If in fact, there's a, you can have a cutting edge on a blurred line. Anyway, there's, uh, Stephen Morell is the chief legal officer at a company called Civic Source. Civic Source takes real world houses that are blighted or what they call tax distressed and puts them online where they're auctioned and sold. You can find Civic Source here in Louisiana as well as Tennessee, Mississippi, and Missouri. Since 2008, Civic Source has sold over 37,000 pieces of property. Steve Morell, welcome out to lunch. Thanks for having me. Matt Finley is president and voice of reason at InExiled Entertainment. InExile is one of the most influential and successful creators of online games in the country. They're responsible for titles like The Mage's Tale, The Bard's Tale, and Wasteland. If you play video games, you're already impressed. If you've never heard of any of this, you're going to be impressed by the multi-millions of dollars involved and the unique crowdfunding business model that InExile has pioneered. Matt Finley, welcome out to lunch. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Stephen, Civic Source seems like a textbook example of a startup company that has a single, simple objective. Basically, you're handling delinquent property tax collection and disposing of abandoned houses for city governments that don't have the resources to do it themselves. In New Orleans, reportedly, the city assigns Civic Source 20,000 delinquent property accounts every year. But you're not a bunch of bounty hunters driving around in pickup trucks with tinted windows, shaking down homeowners. You've come up with a unique online method for disposing of properties. Can you run through the process of how a property gets into your system and how somebody might find a house to buy? Absolutely. Well, it's an annual burden on government to, to collect tax and then to find a way to collect the tax that wasn't paid on time. Uh, we. We thrive on this, uh, and it's absolutely necessary for government to, to have basic public resources 
pay for schools and police and firemen and roads, all the things that are basic public services that we need to live on come from, majority of it, from real estate tax. Everyone owns property, unless they're exempt, they have to pay a tax every year. And for those uh, that don't pay, the city has to have a, a legal mechanism to recover these taxes so that it can afford to pay for its annual services to the, to the public. So what Civic Source has done is partnered with governments. Uh, first client was the city of New Orleans, uh, very proud to say, after Hurricane Katrina to help the city recover from that devastation. 80% of its population, of course, was flooded. Many did not come back to the city and all these people still owed taxes and still owned real estate. Uh, and it was very, very difficult for the city to find all these folks and to, to get them their tax bills so they could collect tax revenue for the following year, the most critical year in the city's history uh, from a recovery standpoint. If the city did this, it would be like an army, right, that would be needed to do this. It, the city that really is is uh, indicative of many other municipalities and, and county governments across the country is they don't have the resources to do this themselves. From a legal compliance standpoint, it's absolutely necessary to do this correctly um, because what will happen is that if somebody won't get notified, it'll go down the road, it'll be overturned uh, in court, and the property will probably end up back in the same exact situation it was before. Um, and, and the number one issue is title insurance. For a property to really be returned to commerce, and that means one that's off the books for many, many years, um, it's really something that the title insurance companies try to stay away from because of the risk of somebody that wasn't properly notified. So being able to do this in a legally compliant way gives the city the ability to truly put these things back into commerce on a regular basis. Now, Matt, there are a huge number of people who play games on devices like Xbox and PlayStation. There are a growing number of people who are playing games on virtual reality devices like Oculus Rift. As far as the more traditional games like the Bard's Tale 4, you raised one and a half million dollars to develop that game on Kickstarter. I'd like to know how that business model works, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But first, let's start with your virtual reality game, The Mage's Tale. It's been described by critics as one of the most impressive VR games ever, and In Exile has said that one of the reasons that you were able to build it is because you opened a studio here in New Orleans. A lot of people might be surprised that we would have the skilled workforce here to create a world-leading virtual reality technology. Did you train these people, or did you find them here? Uh, a little bit of both. I mean, when we set up the studio, it was about six or seven guys moving out here from our office in California with me. And we started very small. Uh, we wanted to try to get up to about 12 guys in that first year, maybe 20 with uh, having a testing team attached because that's kind of a, an easier entry point for an untrained workforce. Uh, but we were very surprised that we were able to get surprising amount of talent, both from the local area and from all over the south and the east coast, guys that we were never going to get to make the move all the way to California. But so New Orleans was an easy place to attract them yeah, to? Yeah, New Orleans became my primary recruiting tool. I mean, we would bring people into the city and, and show them what's going on here, and uh, most of the guys were very excited about the opportunity. I, you know, Matt, the thing I'm thinking about is you probably hire people I guess that know how to code, right? I mean, that, but yet you have to uh, have really creative types. Are they the same person? Yeah, well, I think that people don't understand the large number of disciplines that are within the gaming. A lot of it is very technical. We have all kinds of different engineers, and even the engineers are very specialized. Network engineering versus interface engineering versus gameplay programmers, AI programmers. But then it's also a lot of artists. You know, we have animators and character artists that are building the characters, and environment artists, and then world builders, uh, visual effects artists, designers, and writers. Uh, 
it, it sort of takes all uh, different disciplines to be able to put it together. But how did the Kickstarter work? Crowdsourcing has changed everything for us. So traditionally, we would have ideas for games, and we would go to big publishers and try to sell our concepts. And they're making decisions purely on business. They don't care about games or game quality or the art that we like. They care about can they sell 10, 10 million units of it. So for us, that was really bad because you end up in the studio pitching things that you don't believe in. Uh, when we went to the crowd, it was a different story because this is an opportunity for us to pitch the exact game that we really, really believe in. And we don't need 10 million people to get excited about it. We need 100,000 people to show up with their 50 bucks and back the project as we're funding it. Now, they're going to back you because uh, of what you've done in the past? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's a 30-year track record of us delivering product that they like. Um, and then there is the desire for us to make this type of game that really only can be made through crowdfunding. The type of game that we're making is just not done anymore. It's not, you're not going to find it on the shelf at, uh, at Walmart with all the other Xbox titles. It's a, it's a very um, hardcore role-playing game, so it's a very niche market. It's not, it doesn't have mass appeal. We're appealing to a, a core group of gamers that aren't getting their games built by anyone else. And what is the future? I mean, we've noticed that you've got a couple of different platforms. Is virtual reality where most of the, the, the future is for you? or? Yeah, we, we're fascinated with virtual reality, and this is I think the third time I've seen virtual reality try to make a, a splash. I remember the first time I saw it in 1992, and we're like, this is never going to work. And then <laughs> it started to show up again uh, around 2000, and there were some interesting things. Um, really, this is the first time that we, we believe in it. Um, I think that the uh, for us, from the dawn of this, I mean, when I was in the seventh grade and making computer games in my garage just for myself to You play, were that kid. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but it was, it was, it was about this level of immersionness and back then the game completely lived in your mind because you're looking at text on screen or still pictures and then over the generations like we're adding animations and then 3D comes along. The virtual reality is the first time where everything that was in your imagination when you were playing the game as a kid is actually happening. You really are standing in that dungeon when you're playing the Mage's Tale. You really are seeing your hand turn into fire and you're throwing fireballs down the hallway. So it's the, it's the, it's the delivery of the dream that we've had since the 80s when we started doing this. Now, Stephen, let me ask you about, you started in New Orleans and now you've got three other states. Can you scale? Can you? It must be a need anywhere, right? It is a need everywhere, actually. Uh, and yes, scalability is based upon the technology. The technology was really the game changer here in this industry, was what gave the tools to government to be able to do this on a broad scale. Uh, and so it's a matter of just amplifying it uh, using coding uh, that can take the human element of legal compliance and carrying it through by technology uh, to be able to do it efficiently. Um, and you're talking about thousands and thousands of properties every year. Uh, I mean, just just in New Orleans, one city in America, you know, we're talking about thousands of properties that have to be analyzed all exactly the same way every year. So think about that on, extrapolate that to the rest of the state and then other states, and it's, it's quite, it seems like the, quite the undertaking, but as technology has done with so many other aspects of our lives, it makes the impossible possible by, by bringing the efficiencies to it and allowing the humans to really to drive this, this, uh, this operation you know, on a much grander scale than we ever imagined. Did you invent this or was there <laughs> the idea, was it somewhere else? Or? 
So, uh, no, me personally, no. Uh, but uh, there are some people who are way smarter than I am that came up with, with the technology. Yes, it was homegrown here in New Whoa, Orleans. that's true. Um, locals, uh, our chief technology officer, Will Salsaman, is, is really the chief uh, architect behind all of this. Our CEO, Brian Barrios, was, had the vision to, to see the need here, to put the team together, and to drive it forward. Uh, and since 2008, uh, you know, we, we've had hundreds of thousands of tax sales that we've, that we've administered. Uh, more recently, what, what, when I came into the company, I was in private practice as an attorney, um, was Look to bring- Look at you now. Well, I know, yeah, I know. Look at this. Huh? <laughs> the, the dream job now. And now it's counsel, right? Um, but um, it was title insurance. And that came, comes down to real estate and clearing these titles. And so many properties are just get, this, get stuck in this out-of-commerce cycle. Because if you know you have investors come in and they may pay one year and they can't get title insurance, so they abandon it and they leave it there. And then you drive by these properties every day. There's no for sale sign out. There's ten right. feet tall grass. It's boarded up or whatever. And you're asking, who owns that? Why is that there? That's what I was gonna say. You drive by it and you think it's got to be worth something, it, right? right? Why did people walk away? Right. Well, you know, some people some people die. Uh, you know, this happens all the time. I mean, it's it's, oh, it's, it's inevitable. That's the ultimate. It's excuse, inevitable. Steven. I mean, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's all going to happen to every one of us, right? But you know, but that's the story behind a lot of these properties is that's what happens, and there's no one to pass it on to. Um, a lot of times, the legal heirs don't want anything to do with it, and so they may be out of state and, and somewhere else. It doesn't change the burden on government. You still have right. to find them. And title insurance companies won't touch it with a 10-foot pole unless you can prove that you've done all this. And it makes this task on government really insurmountable. That's why this is working. You said the, uh, the company was uh, founded here. Are you from here? I am. I actually grew up in Slidell. My parents are both from New Orleans. Um, Aloysius and St. Joseph. Oh, and wow. So, you know, got You're the, really got the, the lineage. Yeah. Yeah. That is yeah. great. Yeah. 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 Now, on the other hand, Matt, you're um, originally from the West Coast? Yeah, I grew up in the Northwest and ended up in Southern California for almost 30 years and then found my way to New Orleans about oh, two years we, ago. We need more of you. You were, you see Irvine, you were an anteater. <laughs> yeah. uh, when somebody like yourself, Matt, were you a computer science major? Did you have business courses or just have to learn the business side somewhere? Yeah, I, I fell into it kind of accidentally. Uh, my dad was a big computer guy. I worked for IBM in the late 60s, early 70s, and he ingrained in me from you know, sixth grade on, the computers was the future and I needed to be aware of that. And just sort of took a part-time job to get some beer money and making games for this small Isn't little company the driving called Interplay. force of our country? You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Matt Finley from InXile Entertainment, where they make computer and virtual reality games, and Stephen Morell from Civic Source, where they take blighted houses and sell them online. Now, Matt and Steven, this is the part of the show we call Another Great Idea. Maybe you've got a friend like this, someone who's always got a great idea for you. Uh, they tell you about this job you should apply for, that guy you should have a cup of coffee with, or a great investment opportunity you should jump on. Now, you can take advice like this, and it turns out to be a disaster. You can dismiss this advice and miss out on something that might have turned out really great, or you can take your friend's advice and it turns out to be the best thing that ever happened to you. Do you have an example in your life or career of a friend who had a great idea for you? Did you take their advice and how did it turn out? I'll, I'll start with you, Matt. Yeah, it's actually related to what we were just talking about. Uh, the, the CEO, Brian Fargo, who's the CEO of our, our company now, uh, was my boss back then. And I was working just as a part-time job and I graduated my computer science degree and I was ready to go out into the world and do a real job. And he sat me down. He's like, I think you're making a mistake. Computer games are going to become the biggest thing ever. It's going to be a billion dollar a year industry. This could be a great career for you. 
and I'm like almost spitting coffee out of my nose when he's telling me this because it was the dumbest thing anyone had ever said to me to you know, forego a real job for this computer game industry, which was not an industry in 1988. Um, but I said, all right, well, I'll give it six more months and then see what happens while I'm kind of looking at other options. But within three months of making the decision to kind of stay with that small company, it had started to explode. Um, and by 2000, we were 600 employees and offices in every continent. And it was this giant billion-dollar-a-year industry that he predicted it would be. I can't imagine what my life had been like if I ignored that advice <laughs> and just taken some computer banking job somewhere. Right. Writing back-end server code for <laughs> online systems that wouldn't exist until the 90s. God, so you were, you were kind of the beginning of the whole industry. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a very immature industry I think when we were starting I mean there's only a few companies even doing it really if you wanted a job at a computer game company you just had to find one and knock on the door and they would right. give you one because there wasn't a huge demand to try to get in uh, it's a little different now <laughs> we're, we're so glad you're here now now Stephen what about yourself did you get a piece of advice somewhere well it was actually quite the opposite so the the advice you gave like, advice I, no I, no the, I was given some I was told what I couldn't do and, and that's really what, what set me off. Uh, you know, when I was in private practice, uh, this was, became a, a passion of mine was, was to find a way that, that a, an insurance product could benefit these blighted properties, could find these people that couldn't be found, and could bring title insurance to these titles. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, tax sales have been going on for over 100 years, um, since the late 1800s, um, and, uh, and really title insurance has been a problem always since that time. So, you know, blighted properties, this is my neighborhood, this is my town, this is my city, I care about it deeply, and I wanted to see some kind of benefit here, but everyone in the industry, I was this young guy. I was just in a few years into private practice, and everybody who had been doing this for decades said it can't be done. It can't be done. Title insurance companies will never accept it. Since then, I, we have sold thousands of these properties using our system. Putting Did they back, say it couldn't be done because they didn't have the technology or just we'd never get the title people to work with it? Never get them to work with us. You couldn't do it on a consistent basis. You couldn't, you couldn't do enough work to make them happy. You couldn't make the courts happy. Uh, you'll never get the laws changed. You know, all these things, they just, just seem insurmountable. How are you going to change the laws? How are you going to change the courts? How are you going to change these multi-million-dollar corporations that are based in Chicago and New York, you know, all these other big, big names? It, I'm one little guy, you know. How, how and so it well, just. How it did just, you do it? I can't was, give away all my secrets. Oh, you know? <laughs> did you physically threaten them, or uh, that has worked in the past? Uh, you know, it, it it's it's it was a lot of persistence. It was a lot of uh, in the face of of the word no uh, <laughs> is continuing to march forward, uh, and eventually I, the opportunity presented itself with with this um, amazing company, uh, Civic Source. And we've been able to really flourish it and do so much good for individual communities where these properties can finally be returned to commerce and to productive use, paying taxes uh, on time and eliminating blight. And property taxes mainly go to schools, so this right. town really could could use that. The, Matt, just one last question I was going to ask is how long does it take from start to finish where you're sitting there in, uh, in your shorts on the second floor there and, uh, and you come up with an idea. How long does it take to bring it to fruition? Yeah, it, it takes a lot longer and costs a lot more than I think anyone would ever imagine. Uh, a product like uh, Wasteland 3 that we're working on now and the Bardsdale 4, those are both uh, about 26-month cycles wow. from crowdfunding to pre-production, getting it into full production, and then the whole process all the way to the end. So on cash flow basis, you've 
spent a lot of money up front, and then you just hope it starts to yeah. flow in? Well, one of the beautiful things about this new digital world we live in is when our game is done, it goes right in. We're not manufacturing goods and shipping them around the country and all that distribution management nonsense that we had to deal with. We upload it to the digital retailers, and the consumers download it instantly that first day. And we're making money from unit one. In the old traditional model, you had to recoup all your advances and you, know, you needed a half million dollars or half million units of sales before you'd even see a single nickel. So now we're straight to consumer. There's no middlemen. You know, we, we come up with our idea. We get the crowd to finance it. We ship it and we start making money from the first unit that sells. After doing as long as you have, do you find there's a, a ramp up in sales and then eventually kind of just slides back and then you're ready for a like a revamp? It's, it's, it's a little bit like movies. It's very front-loaded. Everything happens in the, that first 30 days. Like a, a huge percentage of your sales is Do you have to talk to launch. reviewers and things like that? Oh, absolutely. We're doing the press tours and flying around the country and demoing the product for people and getting articles written. That's a what? huge part of what we do. <laughs> you know, one of the biggest challenges in business right now is making the connection between consumers' online and offline lives. Uh, we're seeing the battle play out on the big stage between Amazon and Walmart on a smaller scale, converting individual Facebook, Instagram, and other social media users into real-world customers is now turning into a science. Here in New Orleans, Stephen and Matt, you are both great examples in different ways of companies who are on the forefront of bridging the gap between the online and virtual world and the real world. It's been fascinating to hear about what you're up to, and I look forward to keeping up with both of you and following your continued success. Thank you so much for joining me today on Out to Lunch. Thanks so much for having us. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Matt Finley, President and Voice of Reason in Exile Entertainment, and Stephen Morell, the Chief Legal Officer at Civic Source. You can find out more about Matt's and Stephen's online, virtual, and real-world businesses by following the links on our websites. It's NewOrleans.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And our researcher is Matthew Ellefson. You can listen to this show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts. If you want to know what we look like, and we are really well-dressed today for this. It was a, I know, Matt, this is it's really going out of your way. This isn't the way that gamers, uh, gamers dress. <laughs> you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and It's New Orleans Facebook page. These photos were taken today by Allison Moon. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp by Shewitt & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Out to Lunch is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday to Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitchell's music is available wherever great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Every business needs a partner they can trust. So go with Whitney Bank, voted 2017's Best New Orleans Area Bank by City Business. See how they can help take your business to the next level at HancockWhitney.com, member FDIC. 